0: Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, our Father, our Almighty, uh, you teach us uh, in your Scripture that you desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus calls upon us this morning to think on this, to study this, to figure out what this means. And God, uh, by the end of uh, this time together, I pray that each and every one of us uh, determines this for our own lives. Because what it means for me to be merciful is going to be slightly different than what it means for somebody else in this congregation. And Lord, your word is a word on target. And it's a word to each and every person in here this morning if they have ears to hear give us ears to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning we're reading from uh, Matthew chapter 9 uh, verses 9 through 13. This is the primary text I want to look at. Uh, there's really two stories in here. There's the first one, and it's super quick. It's one verse and it's Uh, Jesus coming along to a tax booth, and there's Matthew, and he calls him out, and he says, follow me, and Matthew says, okay, and that seems to be it, and then uh, it's followed up by a second uh, story, and and we're going to start with the second one, and we'll come back to the first. The second one starts in verse 10, and we'll read a little bit together here. Uh, It goes like this, as Jesus reclined at table in the house... Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Just very quickly here, uh, as uh, Laura said, a tax collector in these days, especially uh, for Jews, uh, were looked down upon, uh, whether it was because they were uh, shady dealers, whether they cheated people, but perhaps more importantly, because they were in league with Rome. Right? So Rome is the oppressor, and these presumably Jews uh, were collecting taxes that were then sent off to Caesar right? and to Rome. And you might imagine uh, people uh, felt like these tax collectors were sellouts, right, selling out their own people. And then this sinners bit, uh, I mean sinners is such a broad category, is it not, right? Uh, here, I mean, it probably means all those things that you think it means, um, but it might mean one more thing that you don't think it means. It, it might actually mean uh, a non-Jew, a Roman, or you know, just somebody who is not of Jewish heritage, somebody who's specifically not keeping the law is important because Jesus is now eating with people who are not keeping the law, perhaps non-Jews or or perhaps Romans, uh, and uh, these tax collectors who are living in some sort of sin, uh, according to uh, certainly the people of this day and age. Apologies to the IRS uh, folks uh, in the room this morning. (laughs) I'll move on. Uh, verse 11 continues. Uh, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And very quickly, this is a quotation from Hosea 6.6, which we read this morning, and what we read, it sounded a little different, if you caught it, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, Uh, in uh, the ESV translation of Hosea 6.6, what we get is not, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, but uh, we instead get, I desire, I think it says loving kindness. The word here is is Chesed. Yeah, th- thanks. Uh, steadfast love. Thank you. Steadfast love is the way it gets translated. Uh, loving kindness would have worked as well. But the idea is this: is that Jesus is here quoting, and there's a collective uh, like point. Uh, th- there's all of these ways of being that we're supposed to inhabit as somebody who is a member of the kingdom of God, who is uh, somebody who is trying to follow Christ, however you wish to put it. If you have been uh, transformed by the redeeming power of Christ, then we are supposed to have, well, as Paul puts it, uh, the Holy Spirit, and therefore exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, right? Whether that's mercy or love or any of the others, right? And so Jesus happens to pounce on this idea of mercy. I said it was going to be quick. It wasn't quick. Uh, Go and learn what this means, he says in verse 13. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Um, It's worth starting with, What's the real problem here? That is, what is the real problem that the Pharisees seem to have with Jesus in this moment? And there's, there's two that I could think of. One that looks kind of like the problem, if you're not thinking about it in their terms. And then the other that is the actual problem. The one that kind of looks like the problem uh, is, uh, is what I'm going to call the bad company ruins good morals problem, right? Jesus is hanging out with bad company, and if you hang out with, this by the way is a quote uh, from the New Testament as well, Uh, if Jesus is hanging out with bad company, well then he will over time become, uh, his morals will become ruined, or his disciples the same thing, and maybe this is what the Pharisees have in mind. Why would Jesus hang out with these people who are going to corrupt him over time? I don't actually think this is the real problem the Pharisees have uh, with Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. I think it's this other problem. And the other problem is, is uh, frankly, it's, it's a little deeper because it gets at the heart of what the religion is. And you see, they believe that Jesus, by doing this, is breaking the rules of their religion, And you might even say he's breaking the rules of the Bible, and the Bible encourages the Jews to to stay away from and certainly not eat with people who are in an unclean state. And here, if you imagine Jesus uh, sitting around a table, probably uh, on a floor, uh, and and there's tons of food uh, on this, it's not COVID safe at all, And, uh, and, and there's lots of mixing and sharing and touching. And, and so you're eating food after somebody else eats some food and, and, and everything is mixed together. And so if somebody at this table is unclean, right? I mean, we're all very used to this right now, actually. Uh, this, this feels more appropriate than I thought it would. Uh, then, then you might become unclean too. This is how the logic goes. And so the Jews uh, of his day and age say, Jesus, we thought you were supposed to be a rabbi, a teacher, and you even have these disciples, these followers, and here you're teaching your disciples to do all of the wrong things, and you're breaking the rules, the rules of the Bible even. And so in this moment, I do think that Jesus takes an opportunity to teach us how to read Scripture well and to how, how to uh, live our religion out well. And he quotes, as we've already said, from Hosea 6.6, 6, and I'll just read it very quickly, for I desire steadfast love, or as Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Hosea 6.6 6 goes on and he says, I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In the context of what's happening in, in Hosea, and frankly, Jesus could have quoted from any number of other prophets, all, uh, not all, probably half of the prophets out there say something very similar, very critical of the sacrificial system, right? which is at the heart and the center uh, of, of the Jewish religion at this point in history, the sacrificial system. And uh, what they say is, God doesn't want your sacrifices. That's, that's not the end goal. You've stopped short of the end goal. And as Hosea puts it, the end goal was that you would be somebody who becomes loving or somebody who is merciful. That's where the end goal was. But you, you thought that it was sacrifice, and that's not what we want. That's not what God wants from you. Jesus' main point here. I think what he's saying is that just like people in Hosea's day and age who had stopped short with sacrifice uh, and stopped short with some sort of uh, religion uh, that has uh, some, some rules and regulations to it, well, so also the people in Jesus' day and age were doing the same thing. And worse yet, the mechanics of their religion and how they read the Bible and how they, uh, they worshipped were actually keeping people out rather than bringing people in. And it was keeping people away from the God who is desiring that they come in. And so if they had been doing it rightly, their sacrifice and their mercy would have gone hand in hand. But instead, what they get is a sacrifice without the mercy. It's interesting to me that Jesus says uh, that he uses two analogies here. One of the physician, right, the, the doctor... And the other is, uh, is about being righteous or unrighteous and who gets called in this situation. And to read it again, Jesus says, uh, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick, they do. And he says, uh, I came not to call the righteous, I came to call the sinners. And you might think, and the Jews of his day might have thought that Jesus was really saying, well, there are those righteous people out there and, and Jesus isn't there for them. He's actually here for these other people. Or uh, to use the other analogy, well, there's those uh, people who are well and Jesus isn't here for them. He's here for, for the, the sick lot, right? But what I think Jesus is saying, if you, if you hear it all. Uh, together he's saying actually we're all in this one this, this lot over here the unwell and, and the sick and the unrighteous and starting with that recognition is kind of a cornerstone to understanding how we relate then to the Savior to Jesus I think it's more important <laughs> uh, Uh, then thinking we're righteous is actually being righteous. I do think this is what Jesus is saying. He says, I know that you you think your sacrifices at the temple make you righteous, and I know that your religious practices make you think you're well, but I know that you, you are not. Because if you were righteous... And if you were well, well, then you would be people of mercy. This is essentially what he's saying. You would be people of compassion if you were well. If you were righteous, you would be people of love. You would be transformed. That's who you'd be. Paul pretty much says the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love passage probably my favorite passage in all of scripture and he says this uh at his most poetic uh it's 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 brilliant frankly he starts in verse one and he says uh if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels right and if you've got if we have any pentecostals in the room uh uh, I could hear the Pentecostals saying, yes, speaking in the, the, the an angelic tongue is so important, right? L- learning to, to, uh, to speak that, uh, the, the tongue, this is, this is mission critical. And if you do that, well, then we know, then we know you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But Paul kind of says something a little different because he goes on. He says, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, If you're not a merciful person, I am just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You're just making a bunch of noise, is what he's saying. right? You haven't been transformed. You're not a person of love. And then he goes on in verse 2. If I have prophetic powers, and then I could see somebody, like a a televangelist or something, uh, saying, yeah, that's the one. Like, if we know that our our leader has these prophetic powers and, and is capable of doing all these things, well, then he's definitely filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul keeps talking, and he says, if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge... And you might point to some college professors out there at, uh, who, who have all the knowledge, right? But I have, a, oh, and if I have, if I have all of the faith in the world, so as to remove mountains, and that one sounds like really important. I have all the faith in the world. I, I can move mountains with my faith, Paul says. If I have all of those things, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. And again, Paul is pointing to what Jesus is pointing to, right? He's saying mission critical is you becoming a person who is filled with love, with mercy, and those fruits of the Spirit. If you're not those things, then what are we doing here? It's all noises. It's all just knowledge. It's all puffed up. We are nothing. In verse 3, this is the last, last one, and here he hits the liberals and he says, if I give all my money away, right, and I, and I give it to uh, these, these needy uh, charities out there, right, he's like, that's good, isn't it? it? It certainly is, actually. It's wonderful. But he says, if I don't have love with that, Then I gain nothing. I gain nothing. Coming back to our passage, Matthew chapter 9, there's an aside uh, from this passage that I don't want you to miss. I, I think it's really important. Um, a feature of it that I think uh, somebody as a pastor who wears the collar and understands what it means to be a religious leader, uh, maybe feels in a way that you could easily miss if you read it, you know, 25 times. And it goes like this, Jesus, when Jesus walks into the room, everybody knows He's the rabbi, right? He's, he's the one who should have the religious answers. And people treat rabbis in a strange way. In the same way, when I say to somebody, I'm a pastor, I get lots of different reactions, right? And one of those reactions is, is like a few steps back, like, oh, I don't know what to do with this guy suddenly, like, he's, he's judging me, or, or he's, uh, he's going to catch me in whatever sin I'm in, or, or he's going to look down on me uh, for saying whatever words I would normally say. or You get the idea, right? And yet, here's what fascinates me about the passage from today, Matthew 9. And, and it's that Jesus is there at the table, his disciples are there with him, And all of these sinners and tax collectors feel very comfortable eating with him. And they all seem to be having a good time together. I think that's important. Because somehow, Jesus, despite his rabbi status, has disarmed the people who need him the most. And they haven't put up those walls And instead, he's broken down those walls somehow. And he's found a way to have a relationship with them in such a way where as they listen to him, they want to be with him, I imagine laughter, I imagine joy, I imagine them having a good time together. It's worth asking you, do sinners and tax collectors feel comfortable When you are around, you are Jesus' disciple, following him into these places that you might not expect. What must you do to let Jesus teach you to be more like him? What can you do to make those who are not like you feel comfortable in your presence? And not only do they feel comfortable, but they actually want to be with you. They like being with you. Conclusion here. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's a little longer than... It's a long conclusion. I don't want to set up a a, a false expectation. I want to come back to the fact that, that we begin this passage with the calling of Matthew himself. Matthew is one of the sinners and tax collectors, right? Matthew happens to be the author uh, of the gospel, if we trust tradition. Uh, Matthew himself is is penning these words, right? And so here, he's writing of his own story. I imagine him recalling the day that, that Jesus comes to him and Jesus says to him, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And Matthew knows firsthand what the mercy of Jesus looks like. And Matthew writes it down. And Matthew's transformed self because some becomes somebody who transforms millions and if not billions of people over 2,000 years of reading his gospel. It's pretty remarkable, really, the effect that Matthew has on the shape of the world, all because Jesus demonstrated mercy and love to a man who was a sinner and tax collector. At the beginning, it says, that Matthew uh, is called, and it says that he rose up and he followed Jesus. It's one of these call narratives that uh, you have to think there's something behind it, right? That uh, Jesus doesn't walk up to a stranger and say, come follow me, and the stranger comes to follow. I mean, maybe that is possible, but my guess is there's some relationship ahead of time beside the point. The point is this. The, the language here that says he rose up and followed him, it's a strange word that Matthew himself chooses to use here for rising up. Because it, uh, in English, it just sounds like, well, he was sti- sitting, he, he stood up and he, he started walking. But the word is actually the, the word that is usually used for resurrection. Anastasia, if you know this name, it means resurrection. To rise up, to to be resurrected. And I think this is exactly actually what's happening in this story. We get Matthew, who's living in sin, who is is somebody who is broken, somebody who is uh, in need of this physician, somebody who is unrighteous, and Jesus comes to him and he calls the sinner, right? Just like Jesus says, and he, he heals the sinner, and the sinner becomes resurrected. He becomes somebody who is indeed whole. What this might have to do with us is that, well, I was reading a, a book this week uh, on leadership, and the author said what I... what." Uh, It's like the simplest thing ever, but sometimes simple is really good. I I try to remind myself of that routinely. Simple is good. Simple is good. And in this case, it's something I've heard and you've heard thousands of times. And for some reason, when I read it this time, I I was like stopped in my tracks and and I just had to read it a few times. And I had to ask myself, do I do this? Is this who I am? And it went something like this, paraphrase here, and he says, we live in a world where we are encouraged to think about uh, every decision in terms of how this decision is going to affect me, right? How it affects me. And in doing so, I live for myself. But what if we didn't? What if we chose to live for humankind, right? Right? I think this is actually connected to what Jesus is doing here in that by calling us to a place of love and calling us to a place of mercy, our eyes stop looking this way and start looking out that way. And we begin to ask the question, who needs me right now? Who needs, more importantly, Jesus right now? Who needs that great physician in his life, in her life? How can I shine the light of Jesus into these dark places? How can I simply help? In a moment, we're going to take communion. And as we do, uh, it's worth reminding ourselves that Matthew, our author, Uh, the person who's the main character of our narrative, uh, was there that day in the upper room, the night before Jesus was crucified. And Matthew knows just how deep Jesus' mercy runs. And I think it's worth saying that even though Jesus quotes and says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, what Jesus does on the cross is he pulls these two things back together, mercy and sacrifice, which is where they were always supposed to be anyway. He demonstrates mercy through his own sacrifice of himself. And there's a way in which Jesus does this that is not something we can repeat or imitate. It's a mercy that we all desperately need at our core level. We need that mercy. But there is this other way in which Jesus is calling us to, to be like Him, and to demonstrate mercy, and to sacrifice our own lives on behalf of the Kingdom, on behalf of Christ, and on behalf of the world. And so today, as we take communion, I want us to be thinking about those two things. And as we hold that cup in our hand that symbolizes Jesus' body and blood, and the sacrifice that Christ made, and the mercy he showed the world, it should change us. We should be people Who are changed by the blood and body of Christ into people who are also merciful and loving, like Christ. Let's pray together. God, as we prepare to take uh, communion, we come and we ask, uh, well, first for forgiveness. Lord, we lay at the altar all the sins that need to be taken away, all of our own failings. We recognize that we are not in the lot of the righteous or in the lot of those who are well, but we are the unrighteous, and we are the sick in need of the great physician. And God, we are so grateful to have one. And we come this morning taking uh, the bread and the cup and reminding ourselves of just how merciful you are, to what great lengths you go to to demonstrate that mercy. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's take a couple minutes to prepare our hearts uh, for communion. Uh, the band will play a little bit. Father in heaven, we bow in reverence, in respect, in awe, and in adoration for the person of Christ, for the words of Christ, for the cross of Christ. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh this morning. We pray that our worship will bring true honor to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and genuine consolation to our souls. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you'll take the bread. I'll read the words that Paul writes about that night when Jesus uh, told his disciples what sort of covenant he was making. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in this little wafer, we find the mercy of Christ the body of Christ broken for you. Paul goes on, and he says, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, well, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And when he did, he demonstrated the depths of the love that God has for each and every one of us. The blood of Christ shed for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the person of Christ and for the work of Christ. Without Christ, we are nothing. We are noisy gongs and clanging cymbals, but in Christ, through Christ, and through the Holy Spirit, Lord, may you transform us into people of mercy and people of love, through whom people can see the mercy and love of God. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. We have one more song to sing. Let's stand together.